When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Guys, 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 boys, girls, it happened. It happened out of what seems to be, let me fix my mic, it, what seems to be out of nowhere, Julian Edelman released by the New England Patriots. Ugh. Okay, so don't freak out. Don't lose your mind. There's some context to that. Okay, now I'm a little emotionally distraught right now, so please excuse me for a second. Julian Edelman's released by the New England Patriots, and he is expected to retire. Quote unquote, expected to retire. Like, just heard last week on the radio that, you know, he wants to play this season, he's working to get his knee healthy. But we also heard that his knee might not be good enough to go for a full 17-game season, plus potentially playoffs. <sighs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show, the podcast. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph. And thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Like I said, I do apologize for the damping mood that I'm bringing to this episode right now, or at least to start. I, I plan on changing my tune, but, you know, just with the news, I it's, it's a little difficult right now, but no, I'm not crying. I just had a sniffle. Just had a little sniffle. <sighs> Hopefully your weekend was good. Uh, mine was absolutely exhausting. I am sore. I'm tired. It's Drill this weekend was so fun, but very, very uh, tough. Let's put it that way. And uh, hopefully you were able to enjoy the couple YouTube videos that I posted on the channel, which are YouTube exclusive only videos. So definitely go check those out on my YouTube channel at Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Subscribe, like the videos, comment down below. Uh, that's where you can see a bunch of the videos, the vlogs, quizzes, home run derbies, 
I just did a Q&A session that I uh, released yesterday, which was pretty fun. Pretty fun. So go check that out. And uh, this Julian Edelman thing, man. First Gronk retires. Then Brady leaves. Now Edelman's leaving and going to retire. So, like I said, there's context to this. Edelman being released by the Patriots. He's expected to retire. Earlier today on the Patriots transaction wire list, whatever, it said that Edelman's contract has been terminated, quote-unquote terminated, because of a failed physical, which is due to his knee, his injured knee that he had surgery on. And due to that, his contract was then terminated and was let go. He's going to be 35 years old this season. What more can we expect from this guy? You know, he has made insane catches, probably one of the best catches in Super Bowl history, depending on what side of history you're on, that matter. This is a tough blow. I mean, we all kind of expected this. Maybe not release, but, you know, the retirement piece. You know, we expected that. We expected him to maybe not play this year. But we did not expect him to get released. No way did we expect him to get released. It, you just, it, you feel so bad for the guy. You really do. He gives his heart and soul. I mean, let me just go over some of his career statistics. 620 receptions. Now, the, all these stats are all with the Patriots, by the way. He hasn't played for any other team, just New England. So, 620 receptions. 6,822 receiving yards, 36 receiving touchdowns, 413 uh, rushing yards, 128 passing yards for those that keep in track for his uh, quarterback days. He has one passing touchdown, 2,612 total return yards, and four return touchdowns. Uh, He spent his whole career, like I said, with the Patriots from 2009 when he was drafted in the seventh round. Pick 232 overall out of Kent State up until, you know, today, you know, 2021. He's a three-time Super Bowl champion in Super Bowl 49, 51, and most recently 53, where he earned Super Bowl 53 MVP honors. He's uh, the New England Patriots 2010's all-decade uh, all team. Obviously, I mean, that, that that's uh, pretty much a gimme right there. This is tough. This is really tough. Oh, and guess what? He is second all time in the NFL in playoff receptions with 118. 118 total playoff receptions. That is second behind Jerry Rice, who has 151. But damn. To be in that category with uh, with Jerry Rice is spectacular. Reggie Wayne is third with 93. And then Gronk is, you know, fourth with 89. And then Heinz Ward is fifth with 88. So Edelman is well, well above, you know, the pack that's behind him. And he's well, well behind Jerry Rice. But to put that into perspective, 118 Playoff reception, second only to Jerry Rice's 151. Holy smokes. 
holy smokes. Man. This this is a this is like low key a tough one to swallow. This really is. You know, I expected to come into this podcast uh, with a lot of good energy because the Celtics are on a little bit of a winning streak. The Bruins, although they got absolutely torched, flamed, hammered, and abused by the Capitals, they went out and made some moves. They seem serious, and you know I want to dive into that later in this episode. But literally, a couple minutes before I start talking about um, start recording for this podcast, the news broke. The news broke, and I swear, all the big news happens just before I'm about to record. Along with the wide receiver statistics that I kind of went over, let's not forget that, you know, Edelman was a quarterback when he was drafted out of Kent State. When Belichick first met him, he said, you're not going to play quarterback, but I like your athleticism, your skill set. We're going to use you some way, shape, or form. Edelman just, you know, swallowed the pill and said, okay, coach. He goes out there. He's a return specialist. We've even seen him on defense before playing a defensive back. I mean, you remember when in like 2010 or 11 when the secondary was really god-awful? You know, that year, that Super Bowl year against the Giants in 2011, Patriots had no uh, no reason to be in that Super Bowl because that secondary and that defense as a whole was trash can water. So Edelman was playing some defense that year. Let's not forget that. But yeah, he, uh, Edelman, excellent player. He's going to be remembered forever, obviously making one of the most insane catches in Super Bowl history against the Falcons in Super Bowl 51 during their 28-3 comeback against those Falcons. This, this, is, this is nuts. But with Julian Edelman being released or terminated, whatever the term is you want to call it, Although he is expected to retire, I do raise and ask this one question. Would any of us be surprised if the Buccaneers signed Julian Edelman? Would any of us be surprised? No. (laughs) No. Give it one more good run with his boy Tom and his boy Gronk. You know, if he's a little dinged up, that's okay because he's not going to have to do as much. He won't have to be relied as much because you have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Tonio Brown, Gronk. I mean, Cameron Brait. They, they, they got their guys back. So Julian Edelman would just be a nice supplemental piece to what is a killer and stellar offense. And you know what? If he doesn't play all the games, so what? You know, they kind of baby him through. They, you know, work him in every now and then just to give him one more hoorah so he doesn't go out on a bad, sour note. Would any of us be surprised if that happens? No. Could it happen? Oh, maybe. (laughs) I mean, maybe. Me personally, I don't think so. I don't think it'll happen. I think Edelman has too much Patriot pride to do such a thing. I mean, then again, we also thought about we also thought that about Brady too, when his contract was up. And like, oh, Brady will come back. You know, him and Bill will figure it out. Uh, Brady has too much pride to come uh, to go play for another team. Well, next thing you know, he releases a statement saying that he won't be back and he's a free agent. So anything's possible. Anything is possible. 
I do have one more question though. And this one is uh, a very uh, decisive question. Is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? Now, I know a lot of people say no. A lot of people say yes. I don't think there's a right or wrong here. You have arguments for both sides. But like I said, he's a three-time Super Bowl champion, one-time Super Bowl MVP, second all-time in playoff receptions. I'm not going to go over it all again. But just to put into perspective, Dion Branch, former wide receiver for the Patriots and the Seahawks, was also a three-time Super Bowl champion and a one-time Super Bowl MVP. But he is not in the Hall of Fame, nor will he ever be in conversation to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. But, but, Dion Branch, once he went to the Seahawks, he did kind of go down a little bit in terms of production, um, you know, being feared as a you know top wide receiver. Not that Edelman ever was, but Edelman was always reliable. You know, through the early of his career, towards the end of his career, and I think it really went downhill when he tore his ACL in the preseason game week three against the Lions. What was it? Uh, three years ago now. It was um, yeah during the the Eagles run, uh, that that Eagles Super Bowl so fifty two so. 17, so the 18 season, 2018 season, he tore his ACL. Ever since then, Julian, Julian Edelman's health has kind of dipped. But from 17 all the way back to 20, uh, 2009, he was you know productive for the Patriots in one way or another, whether it's a return specialist playing defense for the little bit of time or being a wide receiver that he was for the Patriots. He was always reliable, always accountable, and... He was the best slot receiver for a couple of years, or you could say one of the best over the course of his career. I think there's a really strong argument for Julian Edelman to be in the Hall of Fame. Will he be inducted into the Hall of Fame? I don't know. I can't say definitively, but I think he should be. That's just my personal opinion. Try not to be biased with that, but I think I think he will be at the end of the day. All right, so with that over with, I'm going to I'm I'm going to change my attitude and my tone a little bit, you know, be a little bit more happier and you know more, you know, energized like I usually am. So if you allow me to, let me restart and reboot the intro if you don't mind. Give me a second. What's going on everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host James Murphy and thank you so much for joining me on Monday's edition of the podcast Murph's Boston Sports Talk. Hopefully you had a great weekend. It was very, very beautiful, gorgeous, amazing, wonderful outside on Saturday. Sunday, different story, a little chilly, but Saturday, oh, it was like summer. And I've been saying that for a couple weeks now since it's crept up into the 50s, but it was like summer on Saturday. No joke. It was great. It was amazing. Hopefully you were able to enjoy the beautiful outdoors, whether you maybe went to the beach, outside, you know, running, picnic, whatever you like to do outside. Hopefully you were able to do that on Saturday. It was beautiful. Hopefully you were able to have a phenomenal weekend after Friday's episode of Merv's Boston Sports Talk. And hopefully... Like I kind of alluded to earlier when I was being a little mopey dopey. Hopefully you enjoyed those uh, YouTube exclusives over on the YouTube channel. Uh, I posted a few couple videos over there. Hopefully you can able to enjoy them. If you haven't already, I strongly consider you to check it out. It's awesome content over there, getting a lot of laughs. And it's just, 
good stuff. And, you know, I'm not saying that because I'm biased. It's just what I hear. And, you know, I really appreciate that. I'm humble for that. And I'm going to keep doing that for you guys. So definitely go uh, check out my YouTube channel. It's awesome. It's fun. And please consider subscribing. Anyways, guys, got over all the uh, the pleasantries. I talked about the depression of the Julian Edelman news. But I promise you, I am here with that positive attitude and that positive energy that you know and love from me. So thank you so much for dealing with me for the first 15 or so minutes being all bleh, bleh, <laughs> the whole Julian Edelman thing. I feel like I, it just it just hit me like a wall. It really hit me like a wall because a couple minutes before recording, got the news, got the alert that Edelman retired, um, got released, sorry, and is expected to retire. And that just like pause, like life paused for a second. But nonetheless, we do have some important news to talk about regarding both the Celtics and the Bruins. And that is, let's start with the Celtics first. So just to catch up and get up to speed, the Celtics won against the Timberwolves 145-136 in overtime on Friday. Is anybody happy about that win? Nobody. Nobody should be happy about that win. I'm trying to fix my mic here, so I'm not yelling at you guys. The Celtics blew a fourth quarter lead, a late fourth quarter lead, but we're still able to pull out the win. I guess at the end of the day, that is nice that a win's a win. And regardless how it came or against who it came, it wins a win. You got to take it, right? You got to take it and run. Tatum also dropped 53 points in the first Celtics player to do so since IT Isaiah Thomas a few years back. Like I mentioned and alluded to, it was a horrendous game uh, to be in against a trash bag Timberwolves team. Like, come on. First of all, you should have won that game via a blowout. Should have blew them out of the garden. But the fact that you lost a late fourth quarter lead and you had a dance with them in overtime is awful. I'm not even joking, guys. <laughs> Let me put a little chapstick on and I'll tell you why. Okay, so that game was massive and crucial for the Celtics. It has now given them a little bit of momentum, and I'll talk about uh, yesterday's game against the Nuggets in a second, but you just won a close game against the Knicks. You lost a bad game against the 76ers, so this game was really kind of crucial because it was the end of your big homestand before you go out and face a tough West Coast uh, swing of teams, right? The Nuggets, the Blazers, and the Lakers. Come on, yo. Like, the Timberwolves are garbage. And they take you to overtime in your home building? Like, ugh. I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, a win's a win no matter who it's against or how you got it. It's a win. It's still nice to see the resiliency from the team to be able to still come back and to win regardless if they had the lead and blew it or they, you know, beat the deficit and came back to win. A win is a win, and I'll take it. Every win matters at this point, especially considering their situation being now seven games, uh, the seven seed, eight and, a half, eight and a half games back of first place, but you're only a game back of the fourth seed. So I'll take it, but I'm not proud about it, okay? Because that game should not have been that close. It should not have been in overtime. And the Celtics should have been able to play their scrubs. And Tatum should not have needed to get 53 points. And can we slow down with the 53 points, please? Slow down. He scores them against the Timberwolves. 
who haven't been good since Kevin Garnett back in 2006. Or I guess the 2006-2007 season. Whatever. They're not good. So put it back in your pants. Zip them up and buckle them tight. Because at the end of the day, the Timberwolves took you to overtime and almost beat you. So cool it. Cool it. Okay? Thank you. All right. That's a two-game winning streak. Then we go see the Celtics play yesterday in Denver. Sunday in Denver. Where they were losing by 14, as um, as much as 14, late in the third quarter. To the Nuggets in Denver, like I mentioned, this is uh, game one of three of their West Coast swing. And the Nuggets were one of the hottest teams going into this game. And even though they still lost, they're still a hot-ass team. They won eight straight going into it, but they were still able to win 105-87, like I said, after coming back from a 14-point deficit late in the third quarter. Celtics again, again, showed resiliency. They showed determination to win, which is nice because this is a team that has been very lackluster and has showed us many, many nights that they just don't care about the game. They don't care about tonight's game, whether it was against the Rockets or against the Bullets or against, I don't know, the Bulls, whoever trash bag team that they lost to this year. We've seen them be in close games and then get blown out. Or just get blown out from the jump and show no effort to come back. We've seen it before from them. And like I said, we saw the resiliency and the determination to still want to win against the Timberwolves. Which was nice. But let's just, you know, keep ourselves in a check. Reality check here. It's the Timberwolves. But now we're going up against a legitimate West Coast Conference team. Or Western Conference team. In the Denver Nuggets. Although they were not with Jamal Murray who is one of the best guards in the league. But the the Nuggets have been without Murray for a few games now due to an injury, whatever. But still, the Nuggets are still one of the hottest teams right now. And like I said, they've been without Murray for a few games now, despite still being on an eight-game winning streak. The Nuggets going into last night's game were, and probably still are, even though they lost, one of the hottest teams in the NBA. And they were dancing with the Nuggets. They were down big. Uh, 14 points, you want to call big? Sure, whatever. The 14-point deficit late in the third quarter. And we're able to come back to win. This just doubles down on what I was saying about the Timberwolves game. Is that they were able to show resiliency and determination to come back, fight, and win. Instead, what we've seen from the past is just them rolling over. Like a dog. And calling it quits. But the Celtics didn't do that. They didn't do that against the Timberwolves. They didn't do it against the Knicks. They didn't do it against the Nuggets, which was nice to see. It was so nice to see. And I really think that, could the Celtics be taking a turn here? I don't want to get ahead of myself, but maybe. Maybe. I mean, they're on a three-game winning streak, beating the Knicks and the Nuggets, two probably playoff teams. And they won against the Timberwolves, who are going to have the number one pick, or at least a top three lottery pick. But that Nuggets game, that really stands out as probably the win of the year for the team. Really does. And they're still going to be tested tomorrow against Portland, in Portland. And then Thursday, April 15th, against Los Angeles at the Staples Center. 
then just to look ahead a little bit more, you're playing against the Warriors at home, the Bulls at home, the Suns at home for a little three-game series there. I don't want to get too ahead of myself because they're going to be starting to play a couple of, of teams again like they've already seen in the past, the Nets, the Hornets, the Thunder, the Hornets again, whatever. Let's just take it a week at a time. A week at a time. Because if we look too far ahead, if we start to look at, oh, the April 30th game against the Spurs in Boston, what does that do for us right now? What does that do for us? Nothing. Nothing. So let's just worry about this West Coast trip because you're playing the Blazers and the Lakers, who are currently both in the heat of the Western Conference right now. Lakers are fifth. Trailblazers are sixth. You just beat the fourth seed. So come on, let's just get a couple of nice wins here on this West Coast, win at least one of them, and we got something cooking. Now we can start to buy back into this team, because I don't know about you right now, but me, I've kind of, you know, pulled my chips back to my uh, my hand. I'm not betting on the Celtics anymore. I'm not going to, you know, be aggressive with them. I'm going to take what I can get, and right now, right now, I'm getting a lot, but I can't be greedy. I cannot be greedy with this team, so I'm going to take it a game or two at a time. What we saw against the Nuggets was both offense and defense, although they only scored 105 points, but they were explosive with those 105 points, scoring 31 of them in the fourth quarter. The Celtics in the fourth quarter outscored the Nuggets 31-8. to They gave up eight points in the fourth quarter let that sit in eight points to the hottest team in the nba although they didn't have jamal murray they still have nikola jokic and now aaron gordon michael porter jr will barton paul Millsap. if you want to count him even though he's a shell of himself oh and bull bull who was a meme last year during Summer League. So, 31-8. to eight. That's awesome. That's awesome. If you didn't go on that big run, you are not winning that game. So, definitely Celtics fans, take this win with pride. Carry it with you into tomorrow. That energy, that momentum, that confidence, that optimism. And let's go into Portland tomorrow. And let's get it done there. I just want to quickly reflect on the Celtics players. Uh, 20 points for Brown in 36 minutes. 28 for Jalen in 33. Rob Williams, Time Lord, 10 points, 8 rebounds in 27 minutes. Smart, 14 and 34. Kemba, 14 and 33. And look, Grant Williams, 20 minutes. 2 points. 1 assist. 2 rebounds. 2 rebounds. Aaron Neesmith, though, had three points in two minutes, if anyone cares about that. And Mo Wagner, who you traded for at the trade deadline, had no points in two minutes with one assist and rebound. Yay! Woo! Anyways, guys, seriously, though, seriously, take the Celtics win seriously. Take the Celtics win with confidence, pride, and some swagger as we walk into Portland, hopefully being able to catch a dub there. And then again on Thursday when they face the Los Angeles Lakers, which we will talk more about on Wednesday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. But as we transition over to the Boston Bruins, 
before I start talking all good about, you know, the moves that they made, which we've heard about now on the radio, can we first just talk about the slapping, the absolute abomination of a game that they played against the Washington Capitals? You literally walked, you came back home into your own home stadium, your own home facility, whatever. And they followed you right in. And then you went to the ice. And they went to the ice. And you looked back. And you saw them. And you were like, oh shit. And you know what you did? You unbuckled your pants. You pulled them down. And you laid flat on the ice. That's it. That was the game. And next thing you know, it was 8-1. to one. Holy crap, that game was terrible. Dan Vladar. Eight goals against. Made 25 saves on 33 shot attempts, yo. That's disgusting. That's just disgusting. And I understand. I understand. Jeremy Swayman, you know, he's really starting to play nice. He's starting to come into himself. You know, he's getting his feet wet. And no one expected him to start a fourth night in a row. But, oh my god. Holy crap, this dude just sucked. I mean, I it's only, it's only one game. He's still very young. He's got a lot of potential. So I don't want to get ahead of myself or put him down too much. He's still only 23 years old. And I'm sure he can turn it around. I'm hopeful of it, actually. I'm hopeful. But in five games, he's 2-2 two and two with one overtime loss. And he's given up 17 goals. In five games, he's given up 17 goals, which is, I don't know, a little over three goals average. Yikes. I mean, against the Capitals of all teams. But you know what? It's better that it's against the Capitals than it is against, say, like the Devils or the Sabres, where I'm going to be sitting here. Just absolutely ripping the Bruins a new, fresh ass, right? I mean, it's at least you're better to lose this big to that good of a team than that big to a trash bag of a team like the Devils or the Sabres. Because if that was to happen, I would be sitting here chewing UTF out. But luckily for us, that did not happen. And we get to look forward to hopefully more Jeremy Swayman because I really like what I see in him and I'm sure you do as well. Looking ahead before I go over things, I do want to talk about the trade or the trades that the Bruins made and then I'll look at the schedule moving forward. So as we know and we've heard from the reports, the Bruins traded for three guys at the deadline or approaching the deadline addressing all their needs going into the deadline. They addressed top six forward. They addressed, you know, your fourth line. They addressed their blue line. Feels good. Feels good to get that off my chest. Because I honestly feared and thought that they wouldn't do anything. Or maybe make one minor move addressing, you know, just defensive depth. Or, you know, forward depth for that fourth line. But no. They addressed every single need. And I think they did a really good job at it. So, the highlight. Bruins acquired forwards Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar from the Buffalo Sabres for forward Anders Bjork and a 2021 second round pick. Now, I mentioned a couple weeks ago 
that one player that the uh, the Bruins could go after at the deadline was uh, Buffalo's Taylor Hall. He's a former MVP, former first overall pick, having a down season. He's had a bad couple of seasons, actually. So it was a low-risk, high-reward, buy-low, sell-high kind of move for the Bruins. And it pays off. Well, I mean, obviously, I don't know if it's going to pay off just yet, but... You know, I, I predicted this, and it came to fruition. So a little bit about uh, Taylor Hall, in case you don't know him. He is the former overall number one pick from the 2010 draft and the 2018 Hart Trophy winner, which is the NHL's MVP award. Uh, so far this season, Hall has only um, has scored two goals, but he's contributed for 17 assists, resulting in 19 total points. Uh, he signed an eight mil- one-year $8 million contract before the season started with the Sabres. And the Sabres will be swallowing half of the money or half of what's remaining on Hall's contract. So it makes it very affordable for the Bruins for the remainder of the season. Um, This is a massive, massive win for the Bruins. Now, before I say that, let me just go back and say that this is a massive upgrade. Or let me reiterate, this is a massive upgrade for the Bruins. It's a risky addition. But if Hall can come back and be the former MVP or a former shell of that MVP that, you know, we used to know him as, this will be a massive win for the Bruins, like I alluded to. Low risk, high reward, and, ah, like, I mean, this is exactly what the Bruins needed. They needed to make a splash, a big move, and this is that. Although there's so much negativity revolving around Taylor Hall where he's, you know, he's washed up, he's a bad locker room guy, Maybe coming to Boston, a playoff team, a championship-determined team with great leadership, a great culture, and a great locker room around him. Hopefully, he can get his head on right and make, you know, an absolute stud of himself here in Boston. Now, on the flip side of things, the Bruins did have to give up Bjork in a second rounder for him. But Anders Bjork has been a healthy scratch several times this season in like four or five straight games now. And a second-round pick is whatever. It's whatever. Because additionally, along with Taylor Hall, you're also getting Curtis Lazar, who is a right-shot right-winger, who the Bruins actually desperately need. They've been looking for a right-shot right-forward for the longest of times, probably ever since... I, I don't even know. I mean, they've kind of thrown a couple guys in there, and none of them have really stuck. Not saying that he's going to stick or he's going to be our savior, but it's still nice to have that option in your rotation for your four lines. Um, so far this season, Lazar has nine points with five goals and four assists this season thus far. And although he's currently on IR, when he does come back, he should make a significant impact for the remainder of the season. He should, whether it's on the third line, the fourth line, I, d- I doubt you'll see him on the second line. But, you know, wherever he ends up being, he should make a significant impact. Plus, why adding him is so, so nice is that unlike Taylor Hall, Lazar is on contract for next year. So he's not just a one-year rental. You have him for the rest of this year and also next year, only making $800,000. So this is really a low-risk, high-reward in terms of bringing someone in new, someone on IR, and really hoping you're going to get the best out of him. So whenever Lazar comes back, I really think he'll be a great addition to this team. Hopefully he can bring um, a lot to this team for wherever line he plays on. But, you know, him being a throw-in 
along with Taylor Hall at $800,000 for the rest of this year and then next year, you can't go wrong with it. You can't go wrong with the price you paid for with Bjork and a second round pick. I, I, just, I don't think so. I don't think so. And then on the other hand, in addition to both Taylor Hall and Curtis Lazar, the Bruins also traded for Mike Riley, a defenseman, which is a nice addition to your blue line. I've been screaming for help on the blue line this year because of injuries. They've been dinged up. It's just been really inconsistent back there. Although they've played very nicely in a lot of recent games, clearly, clearly not this past game against the Capitals, but just generally speaking, they've played nice, but they're so injured and you can't rely on the health of that blue line. So they went out and they traded for Mike Riley um, from the Ottawa Senators, where they only gave up a third round pick in 2022. Riley has scored no goals this season, but he does have 19 assists and points this season. In his career, Riley only has scored eight goals, but he's not really known for goal scoring, so I don't really care. I don't really care if what his scoring capability is, if he has a shot, if he has a powerful shot. I don't really care. That's not why he's here. Okay, he's been in the league for six years with just eight goals across the eight years, uh, the six years. No one cares. This is not why he's here. So don't be like, oh, he doesn't have that many points. He doesn't score that much. Well, if you're asking for points, he has 72 total points with those 64 assists. At the end of the day, this is a great addition for the Bruins in their top four line, which he'll slide nicely into because the Bruins needed an upgrade in overall depth at the blue line let alone the uh, top four. So hats off to Don Sweeney making two trades, but bringing in three players. Holy smokes. Now, just like with the Celtics and their trade deadline, I just wanted the Bruins to make a move. Show me something. Show me you're serious about this year. And these two moves, bringing in these three players, shows that and more. And much more, for that matter. Despite Taylor Hall and Mike Riley only being essentially one-year rentals, this move shows us this year. They're in for this year. That's what we want to see from them. Because, yes, you know they're struggling from time to time. Yes, they're very inconsistent, both offensively and defensively. And plus, with... Uh, Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak both injured you're starting to rely on your young goaltenders which has been both rewarding with Swayman and also um, unrewarding unrewardful I don't know whatever the term is when Dan Vladar has been able to play no bag on him or anything but young goaltenders are either you know ah, that was my knuckle sorry are either really 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 damn good or they really 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 suck so you have no idea where, I mean, Swayman could end up sucking his next start and Vladar could post a shutout his next start. So it's really hard to kind of gauge where that's going to be, all right? And with 109 total goals for, and you're now up to 104 total goals against, you're still, um, your, your differential's five, but your goals against are, you know, the eight goals really don't help. You're now second in your division with that category, but still relatively low, and your goals for although it's low, will hopefully go up and improve with the addition of Taylor Hall being on that second line, playing with Krejci and whoever he plays with. Your top six forwards, your top four defensemen really got improved here. I'm really impressed with the Bruins this trade deadline, and I wish the Celtics kind of, you know, made some of these kind of moves, those 
bold, risky moves to be like, yeah, we're all in for this season. Except they go out and bring in Mo Wagner, Luke Cornett, and Evan Fournier, who's injured. So, uh, I'm super excited for the Bruins moving forward. They're still eight points behind the Penguins after losing yesterday. They still got three games to play to catch up to all three teams ahead of them, Capitals, Islanders, and Penguins. Those three games turn into six points. You're still kind of behind, but hopefully you can go on a hot streak, beat some of these teams. And like I alluded to, the Bruins do have some big games coming up. They got some big, big games coming up. All right, we got the Sabres tomorrow in Boston. That's not really much of a big game, but it's against a crappy team. and You should beat them. But then on Thursday, you have the Islanders at home. The day after Friday, the Islanders at home. Sunday, April 18th at noon, the Capitals come home. Well, they come to your home. Those are three massive games. I'm serious. Massive games. Because if you can win those three games... That's six points, and that's six points that they don't have. So you get four points for beating the Islanders both tonight, and they would get zero, which brings you now closer back to them. The Capitals, too. I mean, and then after those three big games next week, you got the Sabre. You got a three-game series against the Sabres all in Buffalo next Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, the 13th, uh, 23rd, sorry. So, I mean, you got a massive, you got a huge wave of good games then you got some you know games against the sabers which you can't take lightly because you need those points we're at the point now we're past the deadline you need every single point you can get there's only one two three four five six eight ten twelve fourteen sixteen say sixteen seventeen games left that's it that's it there's only 34 points available left and you're down by 10 in terms of, you know, first place for the standings. You don't need to be in first. I'm not looking for you to get there because I think that's tough. But second, third, that's doable, okay? At least make a hard push at it because if the other teams win, you know, their games, the games that they should be winning, and you're winning the games that you should be winning, there's not much you can do. There's not much you can do about that. So at least 17 games left. Let's try to win 12, Okay. I think, you know, that that's a really good challenge. That's that I don't want to say it's easy to get, but it's it's gettable. All right. It's achievable. I don't care how it comes, OT or regulation. Obviously, regulation would be nice, so you're not giving out another point. But still, twelve wins. Twelve, two, and two. Uh no, that's only sixteen. Twelve, two, and three. Finish the season twelve, two, and three. That'd be an exceptional way to go out in the season. You'd probably end up being in first place if you do that. I don't expect them to, but that'd be nice. That would be a doozy. So before I wrap up my Bruins segment, definitely reach out to me, Twitter, Instagram, or even comment down below if you're listening to this on YouTube. What do you think about the Bruins moves at the deadline? Do you love them? Do you hate them? Do you wish they did more? Do you think they did too much? Did they bring in the right guys or did they bring in the wrong guys? Let me know. You can reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram, any social media, at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk. And like I said, if you're watching on YouTube, please comment down below. I want to hear your thoughts as well over there. So that's really all I kind of came prepared with. 
for this episode of Merce Boston Sports Talk because I knew I wanted to talk a lot about the Bruins and the Celtics. I kind of wanted to go a little bit into draft chatter with the Patriots, but the whole Julian Edelman news just really kind of uh, put me off edge a little bit. So I'm going to save the Bruins draft chatter for next episode. I promise I will get to your draft questions. I will get to your draft concerns because there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot of uh, reports out there the Patriots could be in on a quarterback again whether it's in the first or the second round. So what does that mean? I'm going to address it next time, I promise, okay? But before we end this episode, how about them damn socks? woo Damn, them Red Sox be on fire. The Red Sox are literally hotter than their socks. All right? They swept the Rays. They swept the Orioles, which is no, no trying task. It really isn't. But just the way they started getting swept by the Orioles really put a sour, damp taste in your mouth. But then they go out and sweep the Rays. Then they go out and sweep the Orioles, returning the favor. Now you're sitting pretty at 6-3. and three. Two games in first place. Among the rest of the division, who are all 4-5, and five, the Orioles, Rays, Yankees, and Blue Jays are all 4-5. and five. I love what I see so far from this team. I do. The pitching still kind of, uh, but the hitting has been very, very nice. You know, they're hitting when they should. They're contributing runs. I mean, 14 runs yesterday, six on Saturday, seven on Thursday, nine on Wednesday, six on Tuesday, and then 11 on Monday, the game that Kim and I went to April 5th. They're scoring their runs. And the bullpen and the pitching has been really solid. The pitching rotation has been solid. Not good, not bad, but solid. Bullpen could still use some improvements, all right? And when I talk about their pitching, I mean just about everybody besides Garrett Richards. (laughs) I do. I do, because that dude is just freaking awful. Oh, he's so bad. Oh, he's so bad. But anyways, whatever. I'm not going to talk about him anymore. I think that the Bruins do it every time. I do it every time. The Red Sox. I don't mean the Bruins. I mean the Red Sox. That the Red Sox should bring up Tanner Hawk back. They should trade, release Garrett Richards, and just move on from there. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening to this edition, this episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I really hope you enjoyed me covering all four of your Boston sports teams. I, I really want to start doing that more and more often because the Red Sox season is officially underway. Bruins and Celtics are in the heat of things. Patriots, they got draft coming up. They got the draft coming up. So there's a lot of information and a lot of stuff to get to revolving around all four teams. So if I don't get to a certain headline or story, I do apologize. So I do try to touch upon just about everything that I can see for, from all four teams. But thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying this episode. As always, it graciously means a lot to me, and I am super humble and appreciative of every single one of you. I will see you in the next one, as always. But until hump days, Wednesday's edition of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. But until then, I love you guys, and I'll catch you in the next one. See ya!